Hello and welcome to Horror Cult Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. My name's Chris. And I'm Gary. And this month we are bringing you a very exciting original versus remake. A very uh, preparation for Halloween, would you say, type I episode? I think so. It's, it's Halloween adjacent, isn't it, really? Yeah. It's more sci-fi, more sci-fi. I, I always associate these sort of films with Halloween. Yeah, I mean, it's monsters. Scariness, you know, it's it's there. It's um Invaders from Mars. Yes, should we get the poll results in? Oh, go on then. The original has received forty percent of the vote, so the winner is with sixty percent of the vote. The remake. It's close. It's close, and one reason I find this episode particularly exciting, after watching the films, that they are pretty close. Yeah. I yeah, I it's not much in it. No. In terms of which one I prefer. No. And interestingly, it's not because the remake rehashes everything that the first one did. Mm -hmm. There are different reasons for them being good and bad. So I'm excited to talk about them. Yeah. First up, we have Invaders from Mars from 1953, the first ever alien invasion film to be released in colour. Nice. Nice. It's directed by William Cameron Menzies, and he did The Dove. Thief of Baghdad, The Maze, The Whip Hand, Jewel in the Sun, The Spider, and more. He was also second unit director on Gone with the Wind. Yeah, um, so he was very famous for his production designs. Yeah, yeah. Um, I believe he may have won the first Oscar for production designs mm-hmm. and such. So, as we were talking about uh, this month, Wishmaster, the yeah, original yeah, Wishmaster, yeah. that kind of... Someone who's so famous for production design or special mm. effects, when they get behind the camera as director, yeah, um, you at least know that part is gonna be yes really good. Yeah, and I I do think it is in this it film, is. and we'll discuss it more later. Yeah, but I mean, it's just, this was originally gonna be shot in three D, and his designs mm. were meant to emphasize the sense of depth. Yeah. So, but when it came time for principal photography, there were reportedly no three D cameras available. So filming proceeded in standard 2D. His production designs were so good at creating a sense of depth that many people swore that they watched this in 3D. It it gives that sort of feeling. Yeah. To it. yeah. It's definitely a highlight. Definitely a highlight. And, you know, the resume speaks for itself. Yeah. You know, art director on films like, like you said, Gone with the Wind, It's a Wonderful Life, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, for whom the bell tolls, the devil and Miss Jones. Yeah, it's really well done. Yeah. Written by Richard Blake, who wrote Women Are Trouble, The Devil Is Driving, The Crooked Road, Chevron Theatre, Cavalcade of America, Conflict and Counterplot. And with titles like Women Are Trouble, um, (laughs) a reminder, this film was 1953. Yes. (laughs) I'm definitely adding women are trouble to my watch list. I don't even I don't even know what it's about. That Sounds title con- alone count. is definitely gonna add to my watch list. And this is based on a story by an uncredited John Tucker Battle, uh, who wrote The Frogmen, Adventures in Paradise, Lisbon, Irish Eyes Are Smiling, Bonanza, Maverick, A Man Alone, and more. And the genesis of this film was when the wife of uh, of Battle woke him up one morning 
who recount a vivid and disturbing dream she had of Martians invading Earth. Oh. He had her tell him as much as she could recall, and he developed the rest of the story from there. So, you, if you listen to our podcast on a regular basis, you know all of our episodes are contain spoilers because we go through films bit by bit. Mm-hmm. So, again, this episode we will spoil this film. Um, so, if you haven't seen it and you want to be surprised, then pause, go watch it, come back. The ending. Yes. To both of these films is the same. It is. Don't want to jump ahead of ourselves, but upon reading other people's thoughts online, it's the most controversial part because it's the classic, it was all a dream. Yes. Now, I think this works with the tone of both films and some of the weirder parts where it kind of plays out like a child's imagination. Yes. Why that child is so invested in the army, I don't know. But um, (laughs) either way... I think it works. A lot of people hate it. What's your thoughts? I'm... It, it's difficult because The Wizard of Oz is one of my favourite films. And it pretty much created that it was yeah. all a dream ending. Yeah. And if, if, if I've spoiled The Wizard of Oz for you, you know, that's on you. That ain't on me. Because you should have watched <laughs> it by now. But... <laughs> I, it feels that it's sometimes a little bit of a cop-out. Yeah. It means that nothing that you've just watched really actually meant anything. Yeah. But also it's a film. Uh-huh. So ultimately films don't mean that much anyway. Do, do you know what right. I mean? That's, that's, very, that's the entire podcast ruined. I understand that's <laughs> very cynical, but, you know, it's just your enjoyment levels. Yeah. So if it's all rendered pointless, it was kind of... You know, it's not a documentary. It's not real life. So, I don't know. I suppose I don't... My my opinion is I don't really have an opinion. I mean, the, it's the, fine. You know, the thing is, if you if you had fun with the rest of the film, then what the fuck's in matter? You still yeah, have a really. good time. It doesn't really... Yeah, I mean, it, it's... I don't think it's a great ending. No. It's not like, oh, wow. That really got me. It was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I th- I agree with you. I think it's... A, a child's imagination. Mm-hmm. I think the whole film is a child's imagination. Yeah. And there's many, many examples to back up that idea. And many people have that idea that the whole film is a child's imagination. Yeah. And, and that's kind of in keeping with mm-hmm. them having a nightmare. Yeah. So the original was made on a budget of $290,000. And I could not find anywhere online to tell me how much it made. And with that being said, shall we talk about our first feature presentation? Invaders from Mars, capturing humans at will for their own sinister purposes, turning them into diabolical instruments of destruction. (laughs) Invaders from Mars. Weird, fantastic beings of a super-intelligence, ruling a race of synthetic humans and pitting them against mankind's dream to conquer the universe. Come on, step on it. Search every tunnel. we got to find Ronaldo and the kid. When the colonel gives a signal, get back here on the double!
Yes, so we get a uh, narration. Um, the narrator tells us that the heavens, once an object of superstition, awe and fear, now a vast region for growing knowledge, the distance of Venus, the atmosphere of Mars, the size of Jupiter and the speed of Mercury, all this and more we know, but their greatest mystery, the heavens, have kept a secret. What sort of life, if any, inhabits these other planets? Human life like ours, or life extremely lower in the scale? <laughs> Can you get any lower? <laughs> All right. We are actively destroying our planet, and there are people denying the fact that we are slowly destroying our planet. Yet you question if there's extremely lower <laughs> life in the universe. 1953. 1953. <laughs> I digress. Um, our <laughs> Or dangerously higher. <laughs> seeking the answer to this timeless question, forever seeking, is the constant preoccupation of scientists everywhere. Scientists famous and unknown. Scientists in great universities and in modest homes. Scientists of all ages. Um, yeah, this film is pro science yeah it's not quite but it's getting to space race era uh-huh. it might be around space race era or you know it'll be another over a decade um until the the, the race to the moon is, you know yeah. happens but um it's it's communism it it's, it's the red yeah. scare yeah it's all of that mm-hmm. it's 1953 America. Yeah. It's encompassing all of that. And what this film tries to say, and I might as well say it now, is that the military and the American military and American scientists are superior. Yeah. And honestly, the whole military thing really was a big put off for me with this film. I love this film, but the worst thing about it for me was the amount of time spent on, look, it's the army. How great is war? And here's the army. And here's the army. Oh my god, give it a rest. Well, this narration's telling us that America has the most superior scientists. Yeah. Well, the whole film does. But this kind of reiterates the idea of science is so important. And America has the very best scientists. That's why Martians yeah. have decided to go to America. Uh-huh. And it, it, it is. A lot of Hollywood films a and B-movies, you know, centre America yeah. in the earth. Like Martians uh-huh. are definitely going to America. If they go, yeah. they're not going anywhere else. No. They are going to America. Yeah. If anyone from another planet has a ticket to Earth, it's definitely to the mm-hmm. US of A. <laughs> I love it. it. It makes me laugh. Makes me giggle. So uh, late one night, youngster David McLean is awakened by a loud thunderstorm. He's incapable. Say anything without oh gee oh, beforehand. Gee, oh gee, gee what's whiz. that? Is that an alien? Oh gee. <laughs> From his bedroom window, he's oh gee, he sees a large <laughs> flying saucer descend and disappear into the sandpit area behind his home. After rushing to tell his parents, his scientist, father, George McLean, played by Leif Erickson, goes to investigate David's claim. Now he'd already awoken them before, so mm-hmm. twice he wakes them up. So he'd woken up his parents once at 4am with, with his alarm clock to watch 
do some sort of astrological phenomenon yeah. that was going on. Like, really cool. Um, must be really nice to be able to see stars <laughs> <laughs> without all the light pollution. So uh, his his mother, Mary, played by Hilary Brock, uh, who serves, by the way. Yeah, she does. She's not in it much, she but she serves. And her father, of course, sleep in separate beds because it's 1953. And of course, Mary wakes up with a full face of makeup. Yeah. Like, it's 4am in the morning. Mm-hmm. She's been awoken, yeah. but she's still got mascara and lippy on. Um, Mary McLean says, uh, it's not enough that I'm married to a scientist, but my son's becoming one too. <laughs> oh, gee whiz. Uh, George refers to rumours at the plant, the, uh, wherever he works. I put plan, and I don't know why. But I assumed it was like Homer Simpson, well, but I yeah. don't think it is. <laughs> But he, he refers to rumours that wherever he's works regarding strange happenings. Uh, but he can't tell his wife. I can't tell you the secrets. I'm sure you're dying to know how the sound pit, how the sound pit works. Yeah, go on in. How yeah. does this, what is a sand pit and how does it work? The sand pit opening and closing was done by cutting a long slit in a piece of heavy canvas and inserting a large funnel. A hose from a powerful vacuum was attached to the funnel and the whole thing was then covered with sand. Ooh. The vacuum was activated and the sand was sucked down for the shots of the sand pit opening. The film was simply reversed for shots of the sand pit closing. Oh, wow, that's great for 1953. Really, uh, looks like a real sand pit. So like it's sucking. <laughs> like, what's a sand pit? I thought sand pit was just like where kids... I think it's like the same as, uh, I mean, I think it's just called a sandpit in this film, but it's like the same as quicksand, I think. No, so it's like an area. So like, yeah. like by the, is it by the sea? Is it by the beach? Maybe. I have no idea. Do we get that here in the UK? Sandpit? We get sand. I, I thought it was like a play area, sand. But then obviously it's not, because I've seen the film. It's like, well. Okay, anyway, who cares? Uh, <laughs> Mary's beside herself when George is nowhere to be found. She calls the police, but strangely, they don't seem to believe her. <laughs> um, the two police officers investigate and then fall into the quicksand. I'm going to call it quicksand. It does look like quicksand, doesn't it? Yeah. So when his father eventually returns much later in the morning, David notices an unusual red puncture along the hairline of the back of his father's neck. His father is now behaving in a cold and hostile manner. He has got an attitude and when i say hostile he slaps david yeah when david asks too many questions i mean the fact that david's imagining this um i think child services probably should uh, do a bit of an investigation yeah um the re- the police officers return to acting very suspicious and leave erickson is is giving camp yeah it is ca- it's very it's robotic it is <laughs> Um, but I was I was quite surprised the the, the slap and the I don't know it's yeah. cruelness to us. Anyway, David. Su- anyway, anyway, it's just slapping his kid. It's just yeah. Anyway, I digress. Uh, David soon begins to realise that something is very wrong. He notices that certain townsfolk are acting in exactly the same way. Through his telescope, David sees child neighbour Kathy Wilson suddenly disappear underground while walking in the sandpit. So um, George practically drags Mary to the sandpit. Mm-hmm. And whatever's happened to George then happens to her too. Mary is serving. She and is. Uh, I hope the sand doesn't ruin her outfit. It does not. And it doesn't. Uh, 
Uh, David goes to tell Kathy's mother about Kathy's sandpit disappearance. But Kathy turns up and David is scolded by her mother. And this is camp. This is camp. This is, this mm-hmm. is, gee whiz, Mrs. Kathy's. <laughs> oh, gee, your she, daughter's oh, an alien. <laughs> gee whiz, Kathy's mother. I just saw Kathy get, you know, fall into the sandpit. Well, I'm not very good at it. Gary's a little better than that. Um, bizarre series of events when a petrol can is set on fire in Kathy's <laughs> cellar and must be put out. Kathy smiles at the commotion <laughs> that she has seemingly caused. Oh, gee, there's a fire in your basement. <laughs> David flees to the police station for help and is eventually placed under the protection of a health department physician, Dr. Pat Blake. She is serving. She is, actually. She's serving in doctor. Yeah. She's doctor serving. Um, like Grey's Anatomy, I feel. Uh, she slowly begins to believe David's crazy story. Um, the police officer... <laughs> It, I I love the set of the yeah. police uh, station. It's very empty with very high blank walls, mm-hmm. very bare. Yeah, and I quite like that because the the whole film is told through David's viewpoint. Yeah, and David probably does think that the the police station is a scary place. Yeah, um, it's very much like how Dario Argento made. The characters more childlike in Suspiria by making everything higher. Uh Um, I feel like they've done the same thing in this, and it works really well. Um, The police officer says, "Put him in the detention room." (laughs) The other one says, "What's wrong with him?" He says, "He's crazy. That's what's wrong with him." (laughs) Mary has something to say about this, doesn't she? When she shows up, she's oh god. Mary and George, they arrive at the station to pick up David, but Dr. Blake stops them by inferring that David needs to be taken to the hospital with polio symptoms. And Mary says, it's those trashy comic books he's been reading. (laughs) (laughs) I love how... I don't know. We suppose John Carpenter was maybe a child of the 50s. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of runs through, because I remember in Halloween, it was like, oh, these trashy comic books. Uh-huh. Uh, wasn't it, um, what's the name, Jamie Lee Curtis herself? It was Jamie Lee Curtis. What's yeah. her name? In, oh, my God. Laurie Strode. Laurie Strode, thank you. Wow. Give my gay card back. Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, this this idea, oh, it's the comic books. The comic books give kids weird imaginations. Um. With the help of local astronomer Dr. Stuart Kelston and Dr. Blake, David soon realises that the flying saucer is likely the vanguard of an invasion from the planet Mars in no now in close orbital proximity to Earth. Dr. Kelston believes the McLeans and Kathy's father have been targeted specifically because of their incredible American work yeah. on a space rocket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does. I lo- I fucking love this. I love it, and it it's obviously it's not meant to be tongue in cheek, um. But time has yes. allowed us to look at it yeah. in a different way, and it's so campy, um. That I, I say it all the time, and I stick by it. That kind of Americana from the fifties and sixties. Uh-huh. I live for it. I think it's so entertaining, and so funny. Um, another camp moments when David and the two doctors watch George push someone into the sandpit <laughs> via their telescope. 
<laughs> just fucking loves <laughs> it. Um, Dr. Kelston contacts the US Army and very quickly convinces them to immediately investigate, <laughs> which they do straight away. And just like that, a whole army is assembled. And this is Cold War cinema at its finest. <laughs> um, I'm not going to mention every time it happens, but this stock footage of yeah. the, the oh military... My God. It's repeated a lot, and it's not the longest film in the world. It is repeated a lot. It's something I didn't enjoy too much. It makes it feel like an advertisement. It the de- well, it, but it is, yeah. though. Yeah. I mean, it is. But like, not a subtle one. <laughs> no, no. And the, the film is mainly interpreted as a piece of... Maybe... Propaganda, propaganda yeah. really. I'd say so. You know, the, the Red Scare, obviously mm-hmm. the Martians are... Communists, <laughs> foreign planets, um, and I, I genuinely think that that's how it's meant. Others yeah. have, have interpreted as, you know, David's childlike mentality and his fear of um, his parents, or and... fear of adults, fear of yeah. aging, and and all that, which I I think is also, I. I, I I think it was um, somewhere online I, I read, forgive me, I'm not giving credit, I should have written it down, I don't, I'm sure I was going to mention it, but the idea that this whole film is David not recognising his parents ageing, mm. or something like that, um, which I think was interesting. It's interesting. But the biggest part of me is like, nah, it's communism, mate. What makes me <laughs> laugh, and, and well... What I find funny slash infuriating is that we're now at a stage in time where there's a certain group of America, and I mean, obviously worldwide, but a certain group of America that's saying their drag queens are dangerous for children. Yet this PG-rated film is literally an advertisement for the fucking military on war. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. And drag queens are the problem. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's... You know, kids David's age in this film that would go on to have to serve in the Vietnam War. Yeah. You know, that is... And I, and I think it's something that... I don't know if the remake addresses. We can discuss that when we get there. The remake... Yeah. It's, it's there's a big it's time difference between it the two. It feels less of an advertisement yes. for, for, uh, for the military. Yes. But it's still very much there. Yeah. Um, very serious, and I don't know why I'm laughing. I think it's because it's quite jarring. It shocked me. We find out that Kathy has died. Yeah, via a cerebral hemorrhage, <laughs> like little Kathy. So Doctor Blake isn't buying it yeah. that a child would die randomly from a cerebral hemorrhage, <laughs> and uh, she goes to investigate Kathy's corpse. <laughs> It's PG rated film for the whole family. This is heavy. And uh, she goes to see if um, she has the dreaded red mark on the back of her neck, which she has. So, an alien sabotage plot at the plant, and it is the plant, there we go, is soon uncovered, leading back to the sandpit, and the army surrounds the source's landing site. So we learn that under their aliens' mental commands, the mute humanoids have implanted mind control crystals at the base of the skull of their kidnapped victims, forcing them to attempt sabotage at an atomic 
rocket project being built in a military plant near the town. If they are caught, the mind control devices explode, causing the fatal cerebral hemorrhage. This is what's happened to poor Kathy Wilson. Yeah. Uh, we also see that the two police officers die from cerebral hemorrhages after being uncovered uncovered shortly after setting the site of the rocket on fire. Yeah? Yeah. And we get more stock footage of military tanks. So, George and Mary... Are we, are we following? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, George and Mary... This... I mean, I hope the listeners are. I've seen the film, <laughs> yeah. so I know where I'm at. No, I mean... <laughs> but, um, no, are we following what's happening? Yeah. So, yes. the sabotage yeah. of this brilliant uh-huh. American science. George and Mary visit the lab that Dr. Wilson is working in and try to shoot him. They try to escape in their car, but crash after the police chase them down. Strangely, Dr. Wilson has decided to keep working despite Kathy having just died <laughs> because his job is so brilliant and so important that despite us knowing that Kathy has died and him, knowing that Kathy has died and his wife is understandably really not taking it very well, he's decided to go and work. David's a fucking weirdo. Why is he imagining in his dreams autopsy on his little friends? Like, that's fucking weird. <laughs> So army troops locate and blow open an entrance to the tunnels and Colonel Fielding and a small detachment make their way to the saucer entrance. Um, Interesting fact, the walls of the tunnel are made from blown up condoms. Yes, they are. Yeah. You know, there you go. The more you know. And it looks pretty good. It does. You know, props to them. Standing well away from the army search, Dr. Blake and young David are suddenly sucked underground. They are captured by two tall, um, (laughs) bug-eyed green humanoids and taken via tunnels to the flying saucer. What were the Martians' eyes giving? What were they giving? I don't know. Um, There is a very, very terrible, awful piece of shit film called Devil Hunter. (laughs) And in Devil Hunter, the sort of main monster antagonist Zombie? Is it a zombie in that film? I don't know what he was. Has um, big eyes made from... Golf balls. Is it golf? Yeah. Or is it ping pong balls? Golf balls. Is it golf balls? Oh, it might ping be ping pong balls. balls. Golf yeah. balls are very difficult to cut. Uh, ping pong balls in heart. It looks yeah. shite. And I ain't gonna lie, I think this is exactly the same yeah. <laughs> with these two Martians. <laughs> ping pong balls cut in half. Yeah. <laughs> Put on. Um, just before all this happens, David is worrying about the Martians exploding his parents' brains and leaving him an orphan. But Dr. Blake tells him to try not to think about it. <laughs> As if he's worrying about his favourite shoes. You know? <laughs> no, do worry about it. Your parents' brains are going to explode. Um, these two... <laughs> I'm going to call them Martians. I like calling them... Mm-hmm. Are, they, are they called Martians in the film? They're not. Martians? Yeah. Well, these two Martians, the suits, the green onesies. Yeah, with with the very obvious zip. Very on the back. obvious <laughs> zipper on the back. <laughs> and this, I it, love it. Is it meant to be their skin? Yes. Then why so baggy? Because it's a costume with a zip on the back. <laughs> I love it. I. Absolutely live for cheap costumes like this. It's so entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a shame though because the set designs are really good for what yeah. I'm assuming is a very low budget for nineteen fifty. This is B movie. Yeah. Um so he won't have had the budget he would have had for Gone with the Wind. Yeah. 
Um, I still think he does a really good job. Famous set designer, not famous costume designer. <laughs> no, I understand that. But I... No, but I'm saying, if you need an explanation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe it went on all the, the, the uh, sets and not on the costumes. Um, so Dr. Blake and David are introduced to the Martian mastermind. It has a giant green head with a humanoid face atop a small green partial torso with several green arm tentacles and is encased in a transparent sphere. Do you know who plays it? Someone who's bored fucking shitless. Well, that's funny you say that. And it's funny you mentioned earlier in this episode that The Wizard of Oz is uh, one of your faves. Lucy Potter, one of the munchkins in The Wizard of Oz, played the Martian head in Closing Glass in this film. And for years, she received letters from fans of the film telling her how much she scared them as kids. Yeah. Maybe. (laughs) I mean, it's wacky. It's weird. Um, but that face... She does look bored. She, she, she is bored. very bored. She looks like she's had enough. She's like, no, this ain't for me. It's a very cool visual. I, I Again, so cheap. So, so cheesy. Campy. So charming. Yeah, it's kitsch. It's silly. So uh, times are tough, as Dr. Blake is about to be fitted with the mind-control device, and David is carried away by the mind-controlled um, Sergeant Rinaldi. Yeah? Yeah. One of, one of the soldiers that's appeared. So uh, where Rinaldi is carrying him to, I'm not sure, because it seems to be a little aimless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, for a short film, there's a little bit of filler here. He's yeah. just sort of carrying uh-huh. him around. Uh, the army turns up and saves the day after blasting their way underground. <laughs> and again, more stock footage. Um, a lot of footage of... I th- I th- the army chasing the Martians, but it seems like it's repeated. Mm-hmm. Um, the troops and Colonel Fielding, with Dr. Blake and David in tow, open fire on the pursuing mutants as their group escapes the saucer. Um, strangely, <laughs> one of the soldiers... <laughs> Excuse me. Strangely, one of the soldiers tells them that they... They need to get the Martians right in the puss. Ah, <laughs> oh, we'll get them right in the puss for grenades, Major. <laughs> so it's a step too far. I mean, that's a little cruel. You know... Um, <laughs> what does that even mean in the 50s? I think face. Oh, wow. I think puss was face. Maybe. So if you were serving first... If you were serving puss in the 50s... <laughs> Then your makeup was on fleek. Oh, do people say still say fleek? Pussy's on fire. Your face is on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, orders are given for everyone to quickly leave the area. Fielding's troops have planted timed explosive charges aboard the saucer. And don't we fucking know it? They (laughs) milked this shit for ages. They do. Again, this doesn't even... How long is this film? It's not even close to an hour and a half. It's like... An hour and 18. Yeah. 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 Uh, David runs downhill away from the sandpit and artillery opens fire on the sandpit as the charges ticking timer slowly approaches zero. As David is running for quite some time, way longer than necessary, because it ain't that far. No. <laughs> um, he has flashbacks to the whole film. But it's, <laughs> it's some, like, sometimes it's in reverse yeah. for artistic effect. 
Why is he dreaming of flashbacks? We get Fucking the whole weirdo. Someone film. needs to get him checked out. There's something not right now. We get the whole thing. as he's like, oh. <laughs> uh, following the large explosion, David is suddenly back in his <gasps> bed during a thunder and lightning storm. He runs into his parents' bedroom, confused and frightened. They reassure him that he was just having a bad dream, telling him to go back to sleep. Having returned to his bed, more wind and loud thunder is heard. David climbs out of the bed again, goes to his window and witnesses the very same flying saucer in his nightmare, slowly descending into the snake pit, to which he responds, Gee whiz! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gee whiz, it wasn't a dream! Um, so what? Final Destination? This is the first Final Destination. Styly. Yeah. So, so he had a premonition. But everything worked out in the end. So is he just going to... So it's all right. <laughs> he... Well, little I Kathy's mean... going to die. Oh, little Never Kathy mind. might. Yeah. So he needs to stop little Kathy from dying. <laughs> I'm assuming... Does his parents... Well, his parents didn't die, did they? I think they did, With the they? explosions? Who knows? Who knows? That's Invaders from Who knows? Mars. That's and... Invaders from Mars. I love it. It's so much fun. It's kitsch, it's silly, it ain't that late. It's probably actually longer than it should be. Yeah. It should just be this, 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 this would have been a fabulous episode of The Twilight Zone. It would have, yeah. You know, succinct, an hour long, Mm -hmm. get to it, get to, you know, what we want to see. Yeah. That would have been great. Um, As a film, no, I think think it's fun. It's entertaining. I was entertained. It's kitsch. It's campy. It's silly. Um, yeah, it has an awkward message, red scare message, um, but actually makes it more interesting in a historical way, you know, yeah. and to look at it from that perspective historically, um, I think that adds to my enjoyment of the film. Yeah. And, it's and, perfect for Halloween B-movie. Yeah. Chuck it on and watch it and good yeah that brings us to invaders from mars 1986 mm. directed by horror legend toby hooper uh who we recently discussed as the director of texas chainsaw massacre 2 but you also may know him as the director of the original classic texas chainsaw massacre poltergeist salem's life force crocodile the mangler the toolbox murderers remake and uh toolbox murders not murderers and more uh but early in development much like poltergeist Steven Spielberg was in talks to direct this. Oh, this this had Steven Spielberg written all over it. It did. Yeah, yeah. This. Yeah. Well, Toby Hooper as well. I mean, in the eighties, you had so many of the successful directors who were brought up on films like yeah. the original Invaders from Mars. Yeah, I mean, I think that shows with the trend of B movies remade in the eighties: The Fly, The Thing. Vision Body Snatch was the seventies, but it was late seventies. The Blob, yeah. And this, you know, I think it definitely shows for sure. Yeah, it, it's definitely in keeping with that new wave of American directors. Yeah, you know, something like E.T. is absolutely, uh-huh. you know, influenced by films like Invaders from Mars. Yeah, you know, The Goonies, all of those, they were rife through the eighties. Yeah, written by Dan O'Bannon, who did Alien. Total Recall, The Return of the Living Dead, Screamers, Heavy Metal, Blue Thunder, Life Force, Dead and Buried, Dark Star, and more. And co-written by Don Jacobi, who did uh, Life Force, 
John Carpenter's Vampires, Evolution, Double Team, Death Wish 3, Death Wish 3, the video game, oh. Arachnophobia, The Philadelphia Experiment, not that one, and more. Oh, not that one. Not, sorry, the 80s Philadelphia Experiment, which I do not believe is a remake. It's a very different film. What yeah. do you mean? The Philadelphia Experiment. Yeah. The one we watched, the romantic... The Philadelphia Story, honey. Oh, fuck. <laughs> the same, Catherine Hepburn yeah, film. Yeah, same thing. No, you, Catherine, the Philadelphia Experiment is the Nancy Allen film. Oh, okay. That's what I thought you were telling me. It wasn't the Nancy no, it Allen, is the Nancy Allen film. film. It is it the is. Nancy Allen film. It's not the romantic Cary Grant <laughs> yeah, and James Stewart. Anyway. Budget $7 million, and it only made $4.9 million at the box office. Yeah. That's, yeah. But despite its commercial and critical failure, it has become a cult classic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, good, for, yeah. Good, for, good for you, Invaders from Mars, 1986. The producer, Wade Williams, had had acquired the rights to Invaders from Mars, and uh, for the remake rights, he received over 50 times the amount he had paid for it. And uh, he had already made a very handsome profit from the original film from television, cable, and video releases. Mm. Probably at Halloween time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with that being said, let's Definitely. talk about our second feature presentation. They arrived without warning. They hid where no one would look. Are you okay, Dad? Everything's fine now. David! I'm going to They're after the one person on Earth who knows who they are. David Gardner! And what they've become. <laughs> Invaders from Mars, rated PG. Invaders from Mars starts Friday at a theater near you. George Gardner encourages his 12-year-old son David's dreams of becoming an astronaut by stargazing with him. Much to the horror of his mum, Helen, who is trying her absolute best to get him to go to bed, despite George constantly distracting him. He's like, girl, leave them both. Go live a stress-free life. Yeah. Not worth it. You, you know, if he's going to be a deadbeat dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just leave him to it. A thunderstorm wakes David and he observes a strange alien spaceship landing on Copper Hill, just beyond the house. His father agrees to investigate, but returns behaving strangely with an unexplained mark on the back of his neck and missing one of his nice leather slippers. As we're told by Helen. <laughs> Meanwhile, Helen is doing her absolute best to keep this fucking family running whilst doing every single thing that needs to be done around the house. And oh my God. Yeah, she does everything around the house. She's a school yeah she's learning to be an accountant yeah um yeah she's she's practically a single mom yeah. working two jobs i know i know and what she should be doing is getting david to the doctors because that kid is dead behind the fucking eyes are we gonna are we gonna talk about the elephant we'll, in the room we'll yeah let's it's important let's just mention it yes because it's gonna come up a lot in conversation um, forgive me, cannot remember the actor's name playing the kid. We'll say it later. Yeah. <laughs> Dead behind the eyes. Yeah. This is a true, awful performance. Yeah. His performance is the only reason that I didn't prefer this to the original. Yeah. <laughs> I, and... Toby Hooper, come on, you could have got a better performance out of him. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's not good. It's not. I, I act... I actually fucking hated it. Let's be honest. It's been many years. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you're listening, I do apologise. You're a kid. I don't want to be too harsh on kids. 
Um, so I'm putting the blame in the people who allowed you yeah. to give this performance on screen. Uh, spoiler alert, I do think it's a Nepo baby situation uh-huh. as well. So I am I'm going to call it out. Um, anyone who allowed you to give this performance <laughs> should be ashamed. Because I did. I hated it. Hated it. Hated it. So many good child actors around that yeah. time as well. They could have literally just got Corey Haim exactly. to play this role. And I hated your hair as well. The hair. <laughs> oh my God. But it is in keeping with every kid during that time period. I don't know if 1986 was a little late. I mean, ones in films could act other than him. Well, yeah. I mean, Danny Torrance in The Shining. It's, it's that's that good performance. Yeah, exactly. It's that yeah. haircut. Uh-huh. But that's cool. I didn't say it was a bad... Oh, <laughs> no, but I mean, let's, let's be honest, it's a terrible performance. Yeah, no, of course. But it's also <laughs> terrible hair. At school, David discovers that his teacher, Mrs. McCouch, played by big scene stealer, best thing about the film, Louise Fletcher, and classmate Heather have also been changed. David cuts himself whilst he and some classmates are messing around with a frog. And Mrs. McCouch is like, Heather, you supervise whilst I'll take this uncontrollable little man to the nurse. I hope he has to have a tetanus shot. Yeah. She takes him to the nurse, and then she's like, David Gardner has cut himself, and it probably serves him right. The nurse is carrying on with her phone call, and then she asks her what she said. She's like, I said, this silly boy has cut himself. I don't know what's gotten into him. He's uncontrollable. Yeah, he's throwing a frog around the fucking classroom. I mean, you know you're old when you're siding with Mrs. McCouch. Yeah. I'm on her side. Get him the fuck out of that classroom, throwing a frog around. Oh, shit. Uh, George comes home late that night, and even Helen starts to notice how weird uh, Louis is acting. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says to her, go for a walk after you do the dishes. And she's like, after I do the dishes? George, you're acting so strange. <laughs> Later that night, George takes her for a walk over the hill. They may be Martians, but they still understand the patriarchy. <laughs> And how Ellen should be washing the dishes. She's yeah. cooked, yeah. and she's also washing the dishes. Helen and others, as well, soon become similarly changed from their normal self, which worries David. I mean, you can't tell from this fucking performance, but it does. We know Helen's changed because oh, wait, because she's struggling with her schooling. She cooks a mountain uh, of burnt toast uh, and a mountain of burnt bacon, uh, which, in a very camp way, she eats a slice from. She's like. Oh, hey, David. And she's like, they're eating the camp fucking burnt bacon. I'm here for it. Um, Nothing to do with the scene, but there's a picture of Ronald McDonald in a school canteen. <laughs> Ronald McDonald jump scare. What's wrong with Ronald McDonald? That's fucking terrifying. No. He is. He is. Listeners, right in. Come on. Oh, I mean, Back certainly won't be watching Mac and me anytime soon. Wow. Well, but why would the school have a random picture of Ronald McDonald? Consumerism. <laughs> uh, David catches Mrs. McCouch eating a frog. Uh, high, high, high camp. Yeah. Such high camp. I love it. Louise Fletcher, Oscar winner? Oscar winner, Oscar winner. certainly, yes. Eating a frog. Very famously kind of known as a kind of one-hit wonder. Uh-huh. Um, she didn't really have the huge career that she should have had after, you know, winning. Well, clearly, we well, should we've loved more her, of her in so much. Yeah. Um, you particularly enjoyed her performance in the 
Heretic, The Exorcist 2. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> David, um, yeah, she chases him down the hallway and Linda defends him. Uh, and uh, Mrs. McCouch is like, you're pushing it, sister. <laughs> <laughs> David shares his fears with nurse Linda Magnuson. His mum. I, I mean, um, the nurse, Linda Magnuson, <laughs> definitely not played by his real life mum. After seeing he has, after seeing she has no neck mark, Linda's skeptical but begins to share David's concern after seeing the change in Mrs. McCouch and his parents. Uh, we get another bit of uh, dialogue exchange between the two, and Mrs. McCouch's like, "You've got a lot of nerves, sister." Do you think that having the school teacher be one of the Martians? Mm. Do you think that's because of changing attitudes between the 50s and the 80s. I mean, yeah. Because obviously this, this is a longer film. Yeah. And it's longer mainly because of these moments at mm. school, which aren't in the original. No. Do you think this mistrust of the teacher at the school and that authority is something that's particularly 80s? Oh, definitely. No, absolutely. Because you had a lot of... You know, school-based high school mm -hmm. and middle school and college films are pretty much school sucks. Yeah. You know, we don't have to abide by your rules. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the 50s, it would have been a lot more wholesome. Yeah. And so you wouldn't have had that sort of thing within the school. Uh -huh. It would have been, respect your school teacher. I think yeah, that was I, interesting. No, absolutely. I think that's what they're going for. Yeah, I think yeah. it is something different. And I think what's interesting is this is actually a fantastic addition to the film that makes it better than the original. Yeah. Um, just, just a shame that the thing that the character going to school is uh, the thing that <laughs> makes it worse than the original. Anyway, after evading capture by Mrs. McCouch, David follows her to a cave in uh, Copper Hill. And discovers that the alien ship is reeled, real, reeled, real, crewed by uh, brutish drones and their large-brained leader, who is controlling many people around the town via brain implants and search for the neck. Now the concept designs for this cave, uh, <laughs> the interiors and the aliens were heavily influenced by H.R. Geiger's techno porn designs for the original Alien, which itself had set a new standard for the look of science fiction films. Oh, boy, you can tell. <laughs> it's giving bumhole. <laughs> bumhole with disco lights. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it just looks like a bumhole. It does. It looks... I mean, the effects are great. The, the lighting in this is great as well. Like, the disco lights. It looks like a really cool gay bar. Yeah, it does. Um, with a giant bumhole at the back. Designed as a bumhole. <laughs> like someone pops out. Hiya, lads. <laughs> Can you get your duck? <laughs> um, this film was nominated for two Razzies. Yeah, and I think this this is the scene to uh, bring this up. Mm -hmm. Worst visual effects. Yeah, and worst supporting actress for Louise Fletcher. Absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, the more we do, because I, I I never res necessarily respected the Razzies, but I always kind of believed them. Um, when I would do my research and for for stuff and. Followed them and like, yeah. looked at the list, and you know, I was like, Oh god, these must be terrible, this must be awful. I was like, Oh, 
Um, but the more we've done this podcast and the more that we've watched films that have been nominated mm. or won Razzies and the more I learn about the Razzies, the more I think, oh, yeah. you, you know, what? what is this? Uh-huh. Why are you doing this? Because in absolutely no way was Louise Fletcher no. bad in this film. I thought she was great. She She knew what she had to do. And is she going to come up in comparisons? Because there's no comparison. Yeah, no, she's not. No. No. So we might as well talk about because yeah. there's no comparison to the original film. Um, she knew the assignment. Yeah. And she came prepared. She came ready. She served over the top. Yeah. She served camp, silliness. Yeah. She gave me B movie. Yeah. That's the point. Absolutely. They just don't get camp. They don't. Just I don't just get don't. It. And you know. It's yeah. Camp isn't bad. No, camp is not bad, and I th- I think the Razzies. The more I learn about them, and it's the moment I realised they nominated Shelley Duvall yeah. for The Shining. I was like, you do not know no. what you're going on about. Yeah. And a lot of their nominations, and I don't think it is for this film, have felt cruel in the past. Oh you yeah, know, deliberately shitting on people. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, the more I learn about them, the more I'm like, yeah, yeah. you can keep it. So, and some are well-deserved. Remember that year that Donald Trump won a bunch of awards? That was great. Yes, of course. But then you get other times where they just pick, where they just pick on people just because they're popular. For yeah. For reason. Yeah, and I'm not saying the Weiss Fletcher's nomination was the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> I kind of, I'm not like hashtag justice for the Weiss Fletcher. But, um, yeah, it's... And the visual effects, what the fuck? They're, yeah. They're fantastic. They're so good. Um, speaking of, inspired by the Alien Queen concept for Aliens, who Stan Winston, who was working on Aliens at the time of working on this. Oh, wow. Was, Same year. Uh, yeah. He was eager to explore other ways in which putting two performers in a suit could disguise a human anatomy, anatomy uh, underlying a creature design. Okay. So, uh, yeah, he wanted to create an alien invader that didn't look like I think he uh, he succeeded. Well, there were, it was more. It felt a little more like something from Star Wars. Yeah. Um, which I can't remember the name. But of. it's also a very veiny. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Which Bum, is a, a crazy. Bumholes. They went with a techno porn design in a PG. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose if you're not necessarily looking for it. <laughs> He snuck it in. <laughs> Although I noticed straight away, but... Yeah. You know, of course you did. And maybe you'll come to some of these things. David flees and reveals uh, what he has learned to Linda. And uh, she says, David, you're not just a crazy child, are you? <laughs> the two of them investigate further and decide to seek outside help after they see some construction workers being sucked into the cave, followed by Mrs. McCouch. Excuse me. <laughs> Uh, who is now driving the school bus and trying to kidnap David. When Linda rescues him, she's like, I'll get you for this, David Gardner. Damn. She's chasing him down the street like the uh-huh. ending of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I, that is definitely deliberate. I don't, I don't care what anybody says. That is definitely deliberate. Louise Fletcher is playing Leatherface, <laughs> chasing, and then down the street, and then David gets into the car. Keep imagining if Leatherface is like, I'll get you, Sally Hardesty. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
what I would like to imagine is Louise Fletcher doing the dance. <laughs> yes. As David gets away, yeah. but unfortunately that doesn't happen. David and Linda go to the school basement. Two police officers find them after walking past the Martian head from the original. Nice little nod there. But they're interrupted by a big alien device coming up from the ground. Jimmy Hunt, who plays young David McLean in the original, uh, plays the police chief in this remake. Oh, oh gee. Oh, gee. David and Linda escape and meet with General Wilson, commander of the military base that employs David's father. Now, in this, it feels more satire than advertisement. He's there chomping on a big cigar and... Yeah, it's like that very stereotypical, like, oh, that's me, the leader of the army. <laughs> Definitely like something from G.I. Joe. Yeah. <laughs> the general begins to believe them when two alien abductees at the site are exposed, confronted, and die from the kill switches in their implants activated. Now, this, I'm glad, because they actually had a moment that confirms it, mm-hmm. rather than the original, where it's like, oh, kids, I believe you. Get yeah. the military in. <laughs> well, Wilson meets with NASA and SETI scientists, SETI, SETI, S-E-T-I, who insist on proceeding with a scheduled launch to Mars. But the rocket is destroyed by a bomb planted by George. The scientists conclude that the Martians interpreted the launch as an act of war and are invading Earth preemptively. Uh, Wilson leads his troops against the alien encampment at Copper Hill. So, going to war. It's happening again. Yes, um, the Martians are retaliating against yeah. the rockets. Because <laughs> America. <laughs> While they prepare for a raid, David and Linda are captured by the Martians, prompting Wilson to launch a rescue mission. After unsuccessfully pleading with the Martian leader, David escapes whilst an unconscious Linda is prepped for implantation. David leads Wilson's force to the control room, where a short but intense battle occurs, in which Mrs. McClatch is eaten by one of the aliens. No... During the big final shootout between the Marines and the Martians in the Supreme Intelligence throne room, a fire broke out and it was quickly contained and no one was hurt, but quick thinking led to the Supreme Intelligence being cut open to let the puppeteers out. Oh no. This film's cursed! It's cursed! <laughs> Linda is rescued and the invaders are forced to initiate a retreat. The human survivors plant charges and flee the ship as its liftoff sequence begins. All of this looks amazing, by the way. It does. It it really does. Um, this is, you know, a perfect example of what the original could have looked like with 80s technology and a bigger budget. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And that's what I like about these 80s remakes of these uh, of the 50s B-movies, because, of course, The Thing is one of the greatest horror films of all time. The original, The Thing from Another World, not that great. No. And... I think that's because of budget constraints. Um, you know, The Fly, original Fly, great film. David Cronenberg's The Fly, incredible. One of the greatest horror films ever made. Yes. Because it took that concept, that great concept, and just did everything that the original couldn't have done at that time. Yeah. So it's taking, what I'm assuming, I'm not sure about David Cronenberg, but I think with the others, it's taking what they loved as a child. Yeah. And being able to do what they want to do with it. And being able to use and add to it and use the original as like a structure, like a skeleton almost. And build upon that. 
question film from your youth that you love yeah that you think could do with a bit of help um if you were a director which film would you choose and this is completely off the cuff so if you haven't got an answer you haven't got an answer i feel like there's a few there's a few answers probably um that i just can't think of right now i mean I think we were in a good place in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, something like... I'd love to see a modern version of Small Soldiers. But Small Soldiers look great. And it still looks yeah. great to this day. You yeah. know? So it's, it's a difficult one. I think one. it would overdo it with Small Soldiers. I would love to see... Well, it would definitely overdo it with Small Soldiers. I suppose it's already been answered. I'd love to see what they'd do with a modern version of Ghostwatch. But that's been done. With Inside Number 9 and Haunted All Still Alive. So... Yeah, yeah. Why do you have one? No, I haven't. No, yeah, Homeward Bound, <laughs> but the dogs swear a lot. Oh, wow. And the adventure they go on is to bite off someone's dick. Well, do I have a film for you? Oh. Linda, <laughs> yeah, Think she's... about it. It's a good question. I, I want uh, you to think about it. I just yeah, answered. I well, if anyone listening has an answer to that, a yeah. childhood favourite that they think could do with a, a modern remake, just to spruce it up a little bit. Yeah. Let us know. Uh, I mean, it's not our fault that we grew up in such great decades for well I know, I films. can't think of... I mean, but then I've always sort of loved older films. Mm-hmm. So my childhood favourites are kind of, you know, The Sound of Music yeah. and The Wizard of Oz and stuff like that. And they certainly don't need a remake. No. Uh, the human survivors plant charges and flee the ship as its liftoff sequence begins. David runs for safety of his home, uh, pursued by his parents, still under alien control. As, as the rising alien ship explodes, David's parents recover and try to protect him as the massive fireball races towards them. And you didn't see this coming, but David awakens in his bedroom. Yes. It's all a dream. He wants to see the back of his dad's neck, but couldn't give a shit about his mum. <laughs> no! <laughs> she says, what about me? So, are you alright? Yeah. Okay. His parents assure him that his ordeal was just a dream and leave him to continue sleeping. However, David soon sees the same alien ship reappear and he runs to his parents' room and screams in horror at what he sees. We don't see what he sees, um, but there's something in there. Screaming at they're probably just having a quickie. They might be, yeah. That's Invaders from Mars, and that's a very Twilight Zone ending. Yes. That's a very that version of it is very Twilight yes. Zone. Um, yeah, no, I, I think this is great. I honestly, again, you know, one factor stops us from being as good as the original. Um, but I mean better than the original. Uh, but aside from that one factor, everything else I think is Incredible, really good. One of Toby Hooper's better films. Yeah, I think as a remake, it builds on stuff that could have done with a bit of work from the original. Yeah. Um, Yes, other parts don't quite work, but it still managed to be as fun as the original. Yeah. As silly. It it really stays true to that B-movie sort of mentality. Mm. Um, Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Time. Yeah, no, absolutely. Shall we get to the comparisons and awards? Yes. So awards season. Go first. First up, we have cinematography, scares, special effects, and soundtrack. Nineteen fifty-three. I mean, as we've said, it looks so good. 
It it really does, and I think for these categories in particular, maybe not soundtrack, cinematography, scares, and special effects, it's there's a thirty year difference. Yeah, so things are going to be different. Yeah, no, definitely. You know what what is possible mm-hmm. is going to be different. But we're here to compare. We are here to compare. So in terms of cinematography. And special effects, you know, the original looks pretty damn good yeah. for a B-movie from the 1950s. No, it, it definitely does. I mean, when it comes to scares, both films have their creepy moments, but they do both feel out like this all playing out like a child's imagination. Yeah, I feel, obviously, I wasn't there like, oh, God, Martians. Yeah. And scares are subjective either way. You know, yeah. what scares people, it's different for everyone. Yeah. You know, but... I mean, personally for me, you know, they're kind of on the same level with that. I mean, the set designs in the original, fantastic. They don't look cheap, even with the condoms on the wall. Um, the alien suits, of course, are cheap and cheesy. They are. Very charming. The score um, has an eerie sandpit choir chant, which was done by um, a choral group made up of eight men and eight women and was further enhanced uh, with echo in post-production to give it a more haunting quality and it fucking works it's so good it's really creepy but also <laughs> it also the score is a tonal roller coaster at yeah. times you have that creepy choir chant but then at times it sounds like a dreamy classic hollywood romance movie it's like what <laughs> what's going on it's um yeah it's very 50s yeah very very 50s apart from that choral thing which yeah. is actually really pretty cool yeah but the rest of it is it's very 50s like very military sounding and then you get this random sort of douglas sirk style yeah <laughs> music sweeping music and 1986 the cinematography is very good i preferred a weird and vibrant style of the original i think mm. it adds to what the film's going for uh the set designs in this one though are very good i love the bumhole cave yes Yes. Um, you know, Stan Winston's special effects are incredible. They're or, great. Always I d- incredible. I don't understand the Razzies. I really don't. Yeah. It, it, the, it was executed perfectly for what it needed to be. A, yeah. You know, more so than the original, I don't think the remake was meant to scare anyone. It no. was meant to be a fun, entertaining popcorn flick. Yeah. And the special effects look fantastic. Are they a bit silly? Yes. Are they meant to be silly? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, it is meant to be over the top. Yeah. But looking at them, and I'm sure if we watched the behind the scenes thing, the way they're created would be really fantastic. Yeah. And really professional. It's Stan Winston, for fuck's mm-hmm. sake. You know, they look great. Yeah. And the score is composed by Dave Storrs and Howl-raising composer Christopher Young. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it's really good. I actually do. I'm well known. As Gary reminds me many times, I'm not the best at remembering soundtracks. But I remembered this one. I'd buy it on vinyl. I enjoyed it. Uh, Who are we giving it to? So cinematography. uh, The original gets cinematography. Um, yes. Okay, yes. 
I think in turn, I think it also gets scarce just because it has a little of a worldly feeling to the cinematography. I think, yeah, the scares, the original, because of the red scare. Yeah. But then the remake, I would give special effects. Absolutely. To um, the score, I think it's a tie. I, I'm i going to go with tie as well. Because, yeah, I mean, it. it's our podcast. both scores are really good. They, they are. You know, I, I appreciate ways. the unhinged nature yeah. of the original one. So let's get to the characters. Yes. David. <laughs> oh. 1953, played by... Oh, gee, it's Jimmy Hunt. And 1986, played by Hunter Carson, real-life son of Karen Black. And that is exactly why he got the job, because it's not because of his acting skills. Yeah, so his mother was Karen Black, and his father was... Was it L.T. Carson? Um, Potentially. Forgive me, I'm, I'm struggling to remember it. Name. What was he famous for? Uh, he was famous for writing Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Well, there we go. So he would have been a good pal of um, Toby Hooper. So uh, yeah. it's giving Nepo, baby. Which also, let's not forget, this film is released, the remake was released by Canon Films. So that's why we got a cave, and that's why we got a bomb on cave. Oh, yeah. Love a bit of canon. Um, Jimmy Hunt in the original isn't all that great himself. He's fine. Uh, he does what he needs to do. But his performance in comparison to Hunter Carson, he, he looks like he's giving an Oscar winning performance. Yeah, I don't... Um... Oh, it's L.M. Kit Carson, by okay. the way. I do apologise. Um, I, I don't like shitting on child actors. Because they, they're kids, you know, and... Then they're not gonna be well, sort of renowned. I don't, I'm no. trying. I'm trying to be polite here, um. But it, it in the remake, it's shit. It's, it's it, shit. it is shit. Yeah. It's not great in the original. It's very over the top. It's yeah. Like, oh, lassie's falling down the well. Um, that kind of thing. But compared to the remake, it's Oscar worthy. Yeah. Because he, he's dead. He's dead behind the eyes. Yeah. There's nothing. There's there. nothing there. So it's a very easy win for the original. Yeah, it is. I'm sorry. I do. I feel terrible for it because we we've said about the Razzies sort of nominating well, well, kids. Let's not blame him then. Blame Toby Hooper. Yeah, there, there we go. <laughs> blame a dead man. Do you want to blame a dead man or a child? Sorry, it's been what do you want? We try not to. Be, we try not to be cancelled. Being horrible to child actors. Well, if anyone watched the film, they'll agree. They would agree. Um, <laughs> next up, we have George, who is played in 1953 by Leif Erikson. Not to be uh, confused with the popular mobile phone, Sony Erikson. <laughs> <Yeah, right>. um, <laughs> I'm not a comedian. 1986, he's played by Timothy Bottoms. Does he? I needed some stuff by for that. <laughs> Certainly not. I mean, Timothy probably would bomb if he went to that uh, bumhole nightclub. Shut the fuck up. In the cave. Um, yeah, splitting hairs, really. <laughs> splitting hairs. Well, we are. <laughs> well, we are. With both George and his wife, both of his characters, it's splitting hairs. It is. Uh, it is because they they kind of they they kind of need to do one thing. Yeah. And they do that one thing pretty well. Yeah. 
I feel like in the remake, the couple gets a bit more screen time. Yeah. There's a little more to them. But I actually think in the original, they're a little creepier. Yeah. Actually, particularly Mary. I thought she gives a good performance, particularly at the uh, police off, uh, police station. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm thinking it's a tie. I'd give it a tie. And spoiler, I mean, Mary... In 1953, played by Hilary Brooke and Helen, played by Lorraine Newman in 1986. It's also a tie, I think. It's because... kind of, it's the same thing yeah. where they, they sort of had one thing to do. Um, I do like how in the remake, they Camp. make her eat raw, like, burger yeah. meat. Along with burnt For bacon. For some reason, and burnt bacon. So she gets a little more to yeah. actually do. Um but yeah, it's, it's a tie. Fuck it, it's a tie. And finally, we have Dr. Pat Blake in 1953, played by Helen Carter, and Nurse Linda Magnuson in 1986, played by Karen Black. This is difficult. This is difficult because they Again. both give really good performances. And probably, if Louise Fletcher wasn't in the remake, Karen Black would have gave the best performance. Yeah. But Helen Carter, I do think, gives the best performance in the original. I, th- I think she does, and it's a shame because that was her last film. Yeah. Afterwards, she was like, "No, fuck it. Yeah. I'm tired of this shit now." Um, but I think she gives a good performance. Yeah. She's a very likable character in both films. Very likable character, probably the most likable character. Um, served. I'm. Yeah. Yeah. Both as well. Yeah. Both serve. Yeah. You know, we get Doctor Surf in the original. Yeah. Poor Karen Black had to do bring a kid to work day. She did. Um. You see. Poking him to like put some life <laughs> yeah. into his performance. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It might, it might be. Sorry to make it boring, guys. It might be another tie. Yeah, I th- I'm gonna give it another tie. I, th- I think it's gonna be splitting hairs. It's gonna yeah. come down to like one. But it's fine. I mean, you know. Well, this is where it's all decided. This the, the final one. awards. Biggest queen. I actually gave it to Dr. Pat Blake in the original. Ooh, I'm justified. Justified. Yeah. I went with Mrs. McKelch. I'm sorry. Of course. I was on her side. Throw a frog around my classroom. Absolutely. Get justified. Out. It's facts. Biggest gasp. Um, I've got George and his newfound Martian attitude hitting David in the original. <laughs> Absolutely. David getting a backhand from his dad. Yeah. I was Whoa. gagged. <laughs> Best dialogue. I've got your pushing it, sister. <laughs> your pushing it, sister. Definitely. <laughs> and uh, that's camp. Mrs. McCouch eating a frog in the remake. I put Louise Fletcher and Karen Black squaring off. Yeah, that is camp. As well, but it's, it's camp. And with that being said, it's official. The winner is... No one. It's a tie. Hey, they both win. It's they official. Win. Um, I, very I well like deserved. that everyone gets a medal. Very well Good deserved. on you. Been a while since you've had a tie in original versus remake. I think it's justified. Yeah. I, I genuinely do. Uh, and they got 10 points each. 10 points each. Well well done, both. Both um, teams did really well. <laughs> ratings, I give the original eight grenades to the puss out of 10. <laughs> I gave the original seven Martian zippers out of 10. And I gave the remake seven nice slippers, nice leather slippers oh, out of 10. <laughs> I gave it seven Louise Fletchers getting eaten by a Martian out of 10. 
Um, let's find both films if you want to check them out, which I we both highly recommend doing so. Definitely. The original is on DVD, video on demand, and Pluto TV. Ooh. And the remake is on Blu-ray, Amazon Prime, and Video On Demand. Ooh. If you enjoyed the original, I recommend checking out The Blob, 1958. Nice. Um, if you enjoyed the original, I recommend checking out The Thing from Another World. Yeah. Uh, I know we said it was not the best film ever, but That's decent if you like this kind of... I mean, there's a huge influx of these kind of films. Yeah. The Day the Earth Stood Still. Um, I'm sure there was Invaders from Venus, Invaders from... Everywhere. All of those places, yeah. Um, yeah, all with a hearty bit of uh, communist, yes, <laughs> well, anti-communist propaganda. Uh, if you enjoyed the remake, then I recommend the Invasion of the Body Snatchers remake. Oh, nice, good choice. Uh, if you enjoyed the remake, I recommend checking out the Faculty. Yeah, definitely. more school-based paranoia. And that's it for this one's original versus remake. And that brings us to our best Ooh. and our worst new releases of the month. It's that moment. So, best of the month. So easy. So really easy. Very, very easy. Because it's a film that's my film of the year. A film that's made it into my 100 favourite films. It is Past Lives. Yes. Um, fantastic. Considering Celine Song... This is a feature-length debut. It might be the most impressive feature-length debut I've ever seen. It is so expertly crafted and well-made. It's just ugh, perfection. Absolutely heartbreaking, heartwarming. You just need to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, beautifully made, beautifully performed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not going to give too much away. Hopefully you've seen the trailer. Hopefully you've seen the film. I would fully recommend everybody yeah. watch it. Really, just beautiful work. Worst of the month, by default, really. Um, and it's a three out of five, so it ain't even that bad. Mm. Um, but it, it is the worst new release we've seen all month. Mm -hmm. It's The Nun 2. It is. To no one's surprise. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's fine. Yeah, it, it's a film. It exists. It doesn't need to exist. Um, yeah. Yeah. The Conjuring universe has some fantastic films in there. This is not one of them. Uh, it's basic. It's just basic. I felt like I'd seen the whole thing yeah. before. It didn't feel new. Didn't feel refreshing. Um, didn't feel fresh, should I say, no. either. Bonnie Aarons, Tyra Famiga and Stormreed all deserve a much better film together. So mm -hmm. hopefully they get that. Um, honourable mentions, so this could be new releases or older films, uh, a mixture of all of them. You'll be very happy to know, Chris, that this month I remember to check August, and Uptight is my first honourable mention. Oh, fantastic. Um, Claudine 2, both we had the pleasure of seeing on the big screen. We did, to not as well known as they should be films. Yeah. Really fantastic. There was a series of films... At um, home, which is of our local, we've plugged home so much. We have, podcast. as we should. <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't say art house cinema, but you know, what indie, I mean. cinema. Indie, indie cinema, indie cinema. Very good. That's the word I'm looking for. Well, yeah. And they had a season of films from blacklisted uh, directors, yeah, who had returned to America after being blacklisted. So quite on brand with mm -hmm. Invaders from Mars, actually. Um, and yeah, so we watched Uptight and Claudine. Yeah. 
and they were fantastic. They were really just loved both. I watched Passages, a great new erotic drama with the most unlikable lead character you've seen any film all year. Yeah, I can't stand that guy. <laughs> Theater Camp. Yeah, there was theater and there was camp. There uh, was. I re- I really enjoyed it. A lot of people, I mean, didn't enjoy it so much. Well, they obviously don't enjoy fun. But a lot of people loved it, and I'm in the camp. You're in the theater camp. Uh, yeah, that that loved it. Yeah, uh, I watched Never Been Kissed for the first time. It hasn't aged the best, but it is so fun and gives me that warm fuzzy late nineties, early two thousands feeling. <laughs> Um, the Philadelphia story, not experiment. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Um, Catherine Hepburn is slowly becoming one of my favorite actresses. I guess she always kind of was, but I'm watching more of her work mm-hmm. now and she's creeping up. Yeah. Brain dead, uh, which was incredible. I can't believe I hadn't watched it before now. I was shocked that you'd never watched it. Yeah. I could imagine six-year-old Gary. Excuse me. Not six (laughs) years old. It is so over the top. And just when you think you couldn't go more over the top, it proves you're wrong. It's true. It's camp as well. Wasn't expecting that. Uh, Dust in the Wind. Yeah, what a beautiful film from um, Taiwan. Um, An 80s film. Yeah. Um, by uh, a director who I haven't got written down. Uh, Ho Shu Shen. Yes. Yes. La Ronde, which was just amazing. Just an absolute joy of a film. I was pleasantly surprised. At surprised? I knew I was going to love it, <laughs> but I didn't know why I was going to love okay. it. I was pleasantly yeah. surprised that just for 1950... Yeah. How kind of modern it felt. Like uh-huh. it, it wasn't. Yeah. But it felt like a lot of the themes yeah. were quite no, modern. Arsenic and Old Lace, uh, which may have to be a yearly Halloween watch now. Yes. Yeah, we were, we were trying to watch a few classic comedies, weren't we? Yeah. Classic Hollywood golden era comedies. Really enjoyed that one. Much like the Antichrist. Um... <laughs> yeah. 70s Italian Exorcist ripoff, and I'll tell you now, it's the second best exorcism film in the 70s. Okay, this should have been. I'm telling my kids this is the Exorcist 2. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, The Serpent and the Rainbow, fantastic gem, hidden gem from Wes Craven. Yeah, a, a weird one in his filmography, it, it kind of it's a fun, it, you know, it's, it's mm. a good film, and it's it, Quite serious at times yeah. as well. Yeah. Great visuals. Like yeah. Really, really fantastic visuals in that film. Finally, last but not even close to least, Embrace of the Vampire. Embrace of the Vampire. The Martin Kemp, Jennifer Tilly, <laughs> what's her name? Alyssa, Alyssa, Milano. Alyssa Milano. Erotic thriller. Oh, I could see myself watching this a lot of times. It's so much fun. Absolutely a future podcast film. It's baffling. It's yeah. kind of so stupid. <laughs> but it got a big old love heart on letterbox from me because it's so stupid. Yeah. It's so entertaining. 
And that's it. We are Horrorcore Trash Over on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and Horrorcore Trash on Twitter. I'm Dada Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazma205 on Instagram and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Instagram and Letterboxd. And if you are a minority filmmaker with a new horror film, um, I mean, if, you, if anyone's got any in the style of these 50s B movies, please submit it. So oh. it's not a you know, war propaganda. Um, we're Gasp Horror Festival on all social media and we're accepting submissions now for next year's festival give us a rate review and subscribe on iTunes like a follow on everything else Uh, next month is obviously our Halloween special original versus remake spooky to celebrate the occasion we will be discussing Night of the Demons the original camp classic and the remake with Edward Furlong and Shannon Elizabeth. Right, okay. I've seen it. Remake's not great. Oh, and spoiler alert. I know. And Tuesday, we are starting five weeks at Freddy's, an entire month dedicated to A Nightmare on Elm Street with A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. Yes, what a great way to start. Yes, the perfect start to Spooktober. Oh, as it's also known, October. We'll be back same time, same place on Tuesday. Bye.